in, in before we read verses 25 uh, through 28, uh, and we look at this, you know, Ian last week talked about uh, this, this new life. Uh, and, and, and Paul's going to continue in talking about this new life and, and really this new life, what it looks like and what it involves is, is, is not only uh, replacing these sinful uh, behaviors or habits that we had before uh, we were Jesus followers, but, but, but it also talks about what we're to do now. So there's not just this, this, you know, taking off the old clothing, uh, the old self, but there's also a putting on the new self. See, holiness uh, is not just about saying no to sin. It's about saying yes to God. And so uh, I think it's really important for us to know uh, as we go into this that, that it's not just uh, a whole bunch of, of stop signs. No, it, it's actually saying uh, don't do this so that you can do that. Okay? This was the old you. Uh, this was destruction. This, uh, this was uh, things that, that brought about not God's best for you. Things that, that brought hurt, that shame, uh, anxiety, all these things. Um, take that off in order so that you can then put this on. Okay, so it's not just uh, this, this continuous of don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. No, it's hey, don't do that so you can do this. And that's really important. In verse 25 uh, of chapter 4, uh, we'll start with this. And it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So he kicks this off uh, by saying, put away falsehood. Okay, in other words, stop lying. Stop it. If that's been a part of your life, your behavior before Jesus, keep it away. Take it off if it's still there, if it's still a part of you, if you're operating in that, even right now and you say, uh, I'm a Jesus follower, like, like take off, put away the falsehood. And this includes, uh, you know, uh, cheating. This includes like flattery, manipulation. You know, a lie is a statement that is contrary to fact, uh, really spoken with the intent to deceive. And, and I want to highlight deception there, deceiving, uh, because that's really when we think about lying and, and, and all the different ways that we see uh, it happen. At the core of it is deception, and we should have no part of it because it's incompatible with our new nature. See, Satan is a liar. In John chapter 8, verse 44, um, Jesus is speaking uh, to this crowd, and these Pharisees are there, and he says, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is a liar. He is the father of lies. He wants us to believe lies about God. He wants us to believe that God is a liar. He wants to manipulate God's voice so that we can't uh, decipher it and discern what God is telling us to do. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, remember when he uh, is essentially uh, tricking Eve into uh, taking a bite of the fruit, this is what he said to her in chapter 3, verse 1. He says to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So in other words, he is literally trying to create deception, manipulation between what God had said to Eve 
and, and what she actually heard. So he's trying to mess with that. And so you need to know right now that by his nature, he is a liar and he is going to try to do everything to twist and distort God's words to you. Okay, that, like he's trying to get you to be deceived. And what's so scary about that is he can use absolutely anything. Uh, he, he can use a sermon. He can use uh, verses. He can use circumstances. Because one of the things is this. He knows what you're looking for. He knows the responses that you're looking for from God. He knows what you're hoping to hear from uh, hear from God. And, and so he can take and just twist and do things in order to deceive you into something you have no business doing. And so you just need to know that that is there, that is against you. And ever since the fall, we've seen lying, we've seen deception as a very common characteristic of mankind. When you think of where our society is at today, what are we starving for right now? What are we starving for? From a political standpoint, uh, from a COVID-19 standpoint, what are we starving for? Truth. Truth. We are starving for it. He says, lay aside falsehood. Quoting Zechariah 8, 16, Paul goes from forbidding falsehood to the positive command, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Now, the word uh, neighbor is defined by the phrase members of one another or fellow Christians. So we should speak truth to everyone, but especially with other believers. We are, we are fellow members of Christ's body, the church. Okay, so just as our, our physical bodies cannot function properly if each member doesn't correctly communicate, uh, just as that happens with our phys- physical body, we are a part of each other. We are a spiritual body, uh, the body of Christ. And, and so just as, like, like, I want you to just imagine, if your brain sends the wrong signal uh, to your feet, what happens? <laughs> you fall, you stumble, you miss the curb. When you think about uh, the, the communication of that is hot or that is cold, and what if, if, if you start getting the wrong information there, you could freeze to death or you could get burned. And, and, and so it is critical that your body communicates truth uh, to itself, right, uh, between the different body parts. And just as that is critical and just as that is necessary, since we are united together in our new nature as one body of Christ, we belong to each other, uh, we also affect each other. And that's really important for you to understand. Lying is relational. It's in community that it happens. See, one of the lies that Satan feeds us, especially when we're lying and when we're caught in this trap, is that it's just a you problem. This is just a you thing. Don't bring anyone else into it. You just deal with it. No, it's, it's, it's never just you. Okay, Uh, if you're caught up in line, you are hurting more people right now than you know. See, and and we also like this is something that that I find that happens in particular in Christian circles, because, you know, a lot of times we we try to go out of our way uh, to to not have any conflict. Um, especially like if we're in a church. And so one of the things we will tend to do uh, is to actually, for the sake of, of helping someone either feel good about themselves or, or feel good about the job they're doing or that, sometimes uh, we will actually lie. 
And we will say something that's not true to them because we believe we're actually helping them or encouraging them. You know, 1 John 2.21, it says this. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. There is no lie that has any business with being a part of truth. God is truth. Holy Spirit is truth, right? God's word is truth. Satan is a liar. When I speak in truth, I am reflecting and representing God. When I am lying, being deceptive, being manipulative, regardless of how I may twist, contort it to make it feel like it's not that, either way, however you want to put it, guess what? If I am lying, I am emulating Satan. Who do you want to emulate? It says, put away that falsehood. Speak truth. Speak truth. It's critical. The body needs to be operating in truth with each other. Right? We read, speak the truth in love. Be honest. Be open. Communicate clearly. Help each other. It only edifies and enables the body to be more effective. Chapter, or verses 26 and 27, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, anger is a strong feeling of annoyance uh, or displeasure uh, <laughs> uh, or, or brings hostility. And, and we think about just anger right there and we're like, man, what timing? At least when I read that, I went, geez, of course, this would be uh, the time for it. Because as I was looking at this, um, and it's crazy how you, when you start reading scripture, how God knows exactly what you need to hear. I was just thinking as I, as I was approaching this topic of anger here, and, and as it talks about be angry and do not sin, um, I, I was just going, man, I cannot remember a time in my life or a season in my life where I've had more anger than in these last like few two, three months. I can't remember a time where I have seen um, this anger in me. Like I can't remember ever identifying as clearly as I've been able to during this season. And, and I just look back at the progression. And when I say these things, I'm not like, oh, woe is me. I, I think a lot of us uh, have found ourselves more angry than normal acting out more than we typically do. Uh, you know, I, first you were angry about the virus. We're all angry about that. If, if you had vacation plans, which we did, uh, it destroyed those. I was angry about that. I was like, come on, God. Come on, God. I need that vacation. Me and my wife, we need to get away. Come on, God. Right? So then I'm disappointed. I'm upset. I'm angry. Uh, church plans. God, we've got incredible plans. There's all these things we want to do for you, God. It doesn't happen. I'm angry. My daily routine. I love my daily routine. I love it. It works for me. It's gone. Oh, I'm angry. My family life, uh, the things that have worked to build the foundation for my family, those, uh, just all those things and how we, how we do life together, all of a sudden it is all thrown uh, into this chaos and it affects how I deal with my kids. All of a sudden I'm more irritable. I'm more angry. It affects my marriage. And, and, and I find myself, me and my wife, trying to battle uh, these moments and these times of anger that, that were not there three months ago. And then now I find my my myself in this place as I've worked through a lot of that now I'm just angry like what's going on with our government officials like what's going on 
Man, I got you telling me this, you telling me that. You're an expert, you're an expert. You're telling me opposing things. Should I do that? Should I do that? And I'm just sitting here going, can somebody just tell me the truth? Just someone tell me what we're supposed to do here. And it is so hard and it just makes you angry because everything's political now. So who do you believe? And then it just, once again, it brings out the worst in us. And then we see injustices, uh, racial injustices. We see um, um, all these other things said and done about other people and people attacking each other. And, and it just brings about this anger in me. And I don't know if it's just because now I'm in a posture and a position to see it more clearly or what. But I'll tell you what, it's affecting me. And this verse, these verses could not have come at a better time for me. I know that. And what we see here really echoes Psalm 4.4, where it says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your own beds, and be silent. And so what we see here is Scripture actually allows anger. It allows an anger. You're like, what? Yes, finally. He finally, he said something that's, that like works for me. Well, it's, it's actually called, though, a righteous anger the anger that, that Scripture allows and endorses. What does a righteous anger look like? Well, I've, I've heard it said, well, righteous anger is when I get mad but don't cuss. <laughs> I've actually heard people say that, and if you've ever struggled with your language or have had a history of cussing a lot, you're like, no, Steve, that's a real thing. Like when I first uh, started getting mad and I didn't cuss, it was like, thank you, God, like I've, I've grown. That's great. This isn't, though, what we're talking about when we talk about righteous uh, anger here. Uh, w- what we're talking about, righteous anger is an anger that is directed at sin. Okay, so the focal point is sin. It, 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 it brings an anger to us because it angers God. So, so it's about sin. It's about what it does to God, not what it does to me. So it's the anger that detests these injustices. It, de- it detests immorality. It detests ungodliness because those things are in opposition to God. Not because of what they do to me. Like and, and, and we should feel anger as Christians. We should. When we see these things happening, uh, w- when things are being said, when, all, all of that, like, like there should be things that cause us to get upset. David wrote in Psalm 119.53, Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Okay, so he's worked up. He is angry, and he's angry. Why? Because of the wickedness and what it is doing and what it reflects in relation to God, not to him. Okay, so, so when we look at like, like God is clear. He hates sin, and his people should hate it too, right? If my new nature is I am in Christ, if he hates sin as a byproduct, I should also hate sin. Like I shouldn't be okay with it. Right? Several times in the Old Testament, the phrase appears, the anger of the Lord. Jesus expressed righteous anger at the hard heartedness of the Pharisees. In Mark chapter 3, verse 5, it says this And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So he was angry when he looked and saw the hardness in 
their hearts. It grieved him. He was angry. It was that same anger that caused Jesus to drive the money changers out of the temple twice. We see in Matthew chapter 21 and John chapter 2 when he goes in there multiple times and overturning tables. He's got a whip and he's like getting people out. It's a righteous anger. He displayed an anger throughout his ministry that was mingled with grief. And we too should be grieved and angered over sin. See, if I can see and hear evil, and when I say evil, I'm talking what, what goes in opposition to who God is. Whether that's, whether that's how people treat each other, uh, whether that's murder, whether that's, whether that's situations that we see, whether it's people like saying the name of Christ and, and just totally just crashing it and all of these things. Like when you see things done and you know it grieves uh, his heart, regardless of where you stand uh, politically and all of that, when you see those things and, and, and you know that it grieves him, it should grieve you. And I think that's, uh, that's the point here. That's where we have to be. Because I'll tell you one thing. When I see evil and it doesn't bother me and I'm indifferent to it, what does that say about my relationship with God? Because I'm called to emulate and to reflect him. What he values, I should value. What he is against, I should be against. And so if I can see evil done uh, it within humanity, if I can see uh, things uh, done and these injustices and, and, and things said and, and, and all that, if it doesn't bother me and I can just go, well, whatever, I mean, let's, let's, let's just see what else is there. Uh, if something happens and I'm at the store, uh, it, it, like, like I want you to think about it this way. A lot of us, we need to be more bothered about things that are happening around us that don't just affect your immediate family. Because if something affects our immediate family, we go into mama bear mode, right? We protect, we guard, we're all about that. We need to have a much broader picture because literally our calling is to be lights into this world, into this community. Yes, our families are critical, but we need to be looking out at, at, at all of God's creation and asking, how am I living light? How am I reflecting his love, his grace? And do I care about the things that he cares about? Because if I'm not bothered by evil, if I'm not bothered by things that, that grieve him, that means at the core of my being, I don't care. Now, this is dangerous when we talk about anger. And so to make sure we keep our anger holy, Paul gives us three commands here. The first, he said, is what? Do not sin. Okay, be angry, but do not sin. Now, anger that is sin is self-defensive. It is self-serving. It's resentful of what's being done to you, right? So we talked about righteous anger is about what's being done to God. Uh, when you think about sinful anger, it's about me. I'm the focal point, okay? Uh, we have to make sure that our uh, anger is free from pride or the spirit of revenge, We've got to make sure that, that the anger that we're experiencing isn't making us the point. It's got to be about God. He's the point. And so um, it's important that, that we're asking, am I reacting this way? Am I angry because God's been wronged or because I've been wronged? 
Because here's the reality, even righteous anger, even anger that starts off as righteous, as pure, as of God, even that type of anger can turn to bitterness, resentment, and self-righteousness. And that's a scary thought. That's why Paul goes on to say, don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. He's saying, don't let it fester, this anger, even if it's righteous. Like, don't let it fester. Don't hold on to it. Don't nurse that. Don't, like, determine to resolve it quickly, right? You've heard the term, you know, don't go to bed, don't go to bed angry, right? Like, like you, you think about where that comes from. Don't let the sun go down. And, and, and obviously, he's not, like, saying literally. He is more trying to communicate, like, address this quickly. When we think about conflict and, and we think about uh, anger and all of that throughout Scripture, we see uh, verses that point to address it, go to it, go towards it, not run from it, uh, not avoid or, or just ignore it. Matthew 5, 25, it says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court lest your accuser accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to, to the guard and you to be put in prison so it said come to terms quickly with it right matthew 18 15 if your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone if he listens to you you have gained your brother so go like like we we don't see this like posture of hey let's just like wait let's hope it goes away and all this no there is anger there and and even if it's righteous even if it starts out something that's holy it has the potential to be hijacked if you don't deal with it quickly if you don't address it. Because, because anger, by nature, when, when, when you think about just even Satan and how he operates, Satan hates God, okay? And, and he's in opposition to God, and he hates God's people. And when he finds a believer with the sparks of anger in their heart, he fans those sparks. He pours gasoline on that fire, and he ends up doing great damage to God's people and God's church. Don't give him an opportunity. Don't give him an opportunity. Because as many of us know and have experienced, and even I've experienced, anger may come in a moment and overtake you. Isn't it shocking sometimes how just quickly it happens? You didn't even see it coming. You didn't even know it was there. And you just snap. And I don't, I don't know about you, but after, man, after I snap or, or, or just see that in me and it rises up, man, it's, it, 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 one, it's, it's scary. And then it's just, man, you just feel the weight of going, man, God, that's not of you. And, and the reality is anger has such a strong tendency to grow, it has to be dealt with. It has to be immediately confessed, and it has to be given to God. Even if it's righteous, there is a very short amount of time between where it's righteous, between that and then it becoming sinful. And so in that short amount of time, when you see that happen, you have to go to God with it. You have to bring it before him. And if, that's, if that anger that's rising up in you towards someone else, towards a situation, and, and you're seeing that and you're feeling that, I'm telling you right now, you got to go to God with that. 
because it's not going to just go away. It's going to fester. It's going to slowly build. And Satan, who is in opposition to God, in opposition to you, is going to do everything he can, one, to keep it just below the surface enough for you not to deal with it, uh, for you to just avoid it. And then he's going to create the perfect storm where you're going to lose it. And, and his goal is not just for you to lose it. His goal is for you to lose your family, uh, for you to lose your relationships, for you to lose your influence, your testimony, uh, and, and ultimately to create division in the church that God is building. And so we have to be aware. We have to be on guard with that. That's why he says, don't give him an opportunity. Don't let the sun go down. Don't give him that opportunity. Anger, whether legitimate or not, if it's held, Satan will take advantage. And he knows how hard it is for humans to handle anger responsibly. He loves to lurk around angry people, hoping to be able to exploit the situation to his own advantage, provoking them to anger. When you see people act out, and, and even when I think of myself and when I act out in anger in those moments, the thing that, that I'm always reminded of is that's not a brand new thing. It was already there. So the anger was already there. I just finally got to the place where I addressed it and I acted it out. And so when you see people reacting and doing all of these things out of anger, the anger was already there. It's just now being brought to the surface. And so the reality is, you know, for us, like we have to deal with it. If you are angry right now, for whatever reason, if that is in you, if you're angry towards a specific person, towards a specific situation, towards something that's going on, that is doing you no good to hold on to it. And if you say, well, I, I'm justified in this. Well, you were maybe, but now it's about you, right? Because righteous anger uh, is about God. The more you hold on to it, the more you let it eat away at you, the more it becomes, uh, as that happens, the more it becomes about you, the more selfish it becomes, and then we see you act out in a way that does not honor him. And that's not his plan. That's not his goal. Anyone can become angry, wrote Aristotle, but to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, this is not easy. <laughs> Amen? Verse 28 says this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Okay, uh, when we think about like, just do not steal, right? Uh, do not steal, the eighth commandment that, you know, out of the Ten Commandments. Uh, historians tell us that, that stealing was typical in the first century in Asia Minor. It was, it was something that was going on a lot. And we're not sure who specifically Paul is alluding to here. And that's not really the point. The point is that he felt like he needed to address this. And we think about stealing. Stealing is, is, is so much broader and, 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 and larger than, than just stealing people's money or their possession, right? The, like you, you see uh, employees stealing, right, from employers and, and, and all these different uh, fashions. You, you, you see people stealing from the government or trying to and all these things. And, and so it's much larger than that. And, and, and when we look at like stealing and just that mindset, stealing is a taking mindset. It's I want to take from you. I want to take from that. And just like the rest of these behaviors, what is it rooted in? I deserve that. Me. 
It has that, that, that selfishness component of, of I deserve that, that's owed to me, or, or, or I should have had this, but, but I didn't. And, and so we look at this and, and, and we go, man, like no one is completely free from this temptation. Like it, it's there. And, and I think if we're honest too, there's, there's this certain fleshly attraction in taking something that doesn't belong to us and trying to get away with it. Why in the world do we love all these heist uh, videos, right? These movies about them stealing. And a lot of times you're watching that movie and you're actually cheering for the robbers. It's the craziest thing, right? Where does that come from? Where does that excitement come from? Uh, it's because, man, we've got some of this, this sinful uh, clothing that we got to continue to get rid of. And when, when we look at like what Paul's saying, Paul, Paul is saying, once again, this has no business. This takes from the community. This takes from the body of Christ. Don't be about that. He says this, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So what we see here is we are created to work. It's a gift from God. You're like, really? Yes. There's a reason it's fulfilling. You go, it's not really that fulfilling now. Have you ever gotten into your car after a hard day of work, but you accomplished uh, these different tasks that you were hoping to accomplish, or maybe you had uh, accomplished something you didn't even know was going to be a task, but you accomplished it. How did that feel? feels incredible, right? There's different things that, that, that work brings out in us that, that is a fulfillment that, that so many other things can't bring. And, and it's in those moments that I'm reminded, man, I am built and wired to work. And there is something in this, even from the beginning of time, Adam and Eve, take care of this garden. They were working. Okay, we see that's designed. We see that the Old Testament values work. Jesus worked for years as a carpenter uh, or stonemason. Paul worked throughout his ministry. The men that we see in scripture that God calls, uh, we see in the situations where they're called, you know what they were doing? They were working. Paul says we should not only see the, the, we should not only see the goodness of work, but we should also remember the need for work, especially in relation to community. Remember, he's talking about the new nature. He's saying, hey, Christians, this is how you operate within this new nature, this new community. And there's parameters within this community and how you deal with each other and how you operate. And he was dealing with some of these issues. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, it says this. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Now, as we look at this, once again, he is saying this is how this community is supposed to operate and he's dealing with specific people, right? He is not, and I want to be clear on this, he's not talking about people that, that he's not talking about people that can't work. Right? He's not talking about those people because we know, uh, and even right now, there's people that cannot work. Maybe you're right, like, what do I do, Steve? I can't work right now. He's not talking about that. Did you see? He's talking about people that are making the choice not to work. He's talking about people that have every opportunity that, that could do that, and, and they're not working. They're busybodies. They're, they're being about whatever they want to be about, but they're also then sponging, mooching off, 
these Jesus followers who are trying to earn a living and also trying to share and bless in the community. And so what he's essentially saying here is like, like listen, like, like you are built and you are designed and, and wired to work. And, and, and so work, don't take from the community, build into the community. And, and by working, you're not only taking care of yourself, your family, you are also being used by God to help bless the community, the people that God is going to call and bring into that local church. And that's a huge thing for us. We see, um, like, like and, and it brings, uh, I think, for a lot of us back to our desires of, of, of why we should even work, right? Our work, it says, should be in what is good. The term good connotes that which is good in quality and here refers to God-honoring employment. So a Jesus follower shouldn't be involved in a job or profession that demands compromise of God's standards or that misleads or harms other people. That, that's important. We should be honorable in what we're doing. I remember I was sitting at a table uh, at, a, at a coffee house and I was in a meeting. And I don't know if you've ever been uh, in a cafe or a situation like that. And the tables are kind of close to each other. Um, and, and you're trying to have a conversation with someone. And for me, it's tough because as a lot of you know, my mind goes all over the place. And I have to really focus. And I'm trying to listen to this person. But behind me, there is an interview happening. And before I know it, I'm getting caught up into this interview. And, and I'm just listening because I'm just intrigued at what I'm hearing. And I'm trying to figure out what are they talking about? And at the, at what I find out they're talking about is this individual was interviewing uh, to be uh, in marketing to help uh, one of the, the cigarette uh, you know, uh, organizations, helping them market cigarettes and get them into more people's hands with all the new restrictions. And so he was literally interviewing to be the person that was going to help get more cigarettes into people's hands and to get more people smoking. And I'm literally sitting there as that now interview has hijacked my meeting. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, man, how do you go into that? How do you do that? How are you okay with that? Like knowing what we know, like you're, 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 you want to put that into more people? And I was just thinking about that, and this reminded me about how we are to be working in what is good, okay? What is good? What doesn't cause or call us to, to compromise our beliefs, to go against uh, God's standards and God's design uh, for us. Our job should be a way to serve God and other people. Okay, and that's huge, right? Because uh, when we think about our desire to earn more, it should be for the purpose of being able to give more. Acts chapter 20, verses 33 through 35, it says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul said to the church of Rome in Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So we think about earning more. It's really with the desire that we're able to give and to bless other people more. John Wesley said, work as hard as you can, make as much as you can, then give as much as you can. 
you know, Zacchaeus, uh, who met Jesus, who was, who was this, this, this evil uh, guy that was profiting, uh, you know, off of, you know, he was, he was a tax collector and, and, and just profiting off of all these people. And he was a taker his whole life. But after an interaction with Jesus, he became a giver. He starts giving back to all these people. Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. When we put on that new nature, when we are living uh, in a way that reflects Jesus Christ, guess what? Our mindset, even as we work, is God, even as we pray, pray, bless me, God. Uh, God, bless me so that I can be used to bless other people. What, a, what an awesome thing that is. And I see that. Gosh, when, when, when I was reading that, I was like, man, what a... What a admirable thing, not only to pray for in, in, in your work and looking at your work and the mindset of my work that is bigger than me, it's bigger than my family. It's, it's how can I be used even in this work then to bless other people? And God, if you grow my resources, help me to be able to bless other people uh, with those resources. And this church, man, I've just seen that even throughout this pandemic that we're in. I have seen this church model that and reflect that. And I'm telling you right now, I've been so encouraged by it. It's been amazing to watch our church, the families, respond uh, to other people, to bless other people, to, to, to give, to, to help other people that are down and to help pull them back up. I was just reading uh, literally a story about one of our families at Ecclesia that this other nonprofit wrote about because this family w- w- was blessing other people. And, and I was just so encouraged by it. And I just like, that's what this is about. That's what it's about. Because you know what? Not everybody's in the same boat. Not all we, not, you know, like some of us, we're doing well. Some of us, we aren't. And it's such an opportunity to reflect the body that loves each other, a, a, a body that is unified, um, a, a body that is able to look beyond ourselves and to ask, how are we a complete picture of Jesus Christ? And, and, and I'm just so encouraged by what's happening here with our church. And I just want to say this, like, because we can hear, like, don't, don't, you know, don't lie. <laughs> don't, don't be angry. Don't, you know, like, don't steal. All these things, right? We can see that. That's very clear in these. But I also want you to know and to see that it says also what you need to start doing. So don't just... Lay those things aside. Ask the question, what are you going to start doing? And that's what I love about this. Don't just look for what needs to stop in your life. Ask what needs to start in your life. Because I feel like we've been really good historically at telling everybody what they need to stop. You know, all the areas that are off in their life, all the things they need to cut out. But as I was reading this, I was like, man, how cool is it that Paul addresses the things you need to stop, addresses the things that, that are, not, are not a part of our new nature, but he also then says, do this, do this instead, right? So it's not this massive stop sign, uh, you know, with your life. No, he's redirecting you in a way that brings a fulfillment that only God can bring in your life. He's leading you in a way uh, that, that, that literally will bring the fullness of his body, that will bring that completion, uh, that, that will meet incredible needs, that, that will do uh, incredible work in advancing the gospel and making great the name of Jesus. And so I just want to encourage us to, to not always get caught up in what needs to start and to stop, but, but to look at what do I need to start 
You know, like if I'm angry right now and I've been dealing with that, you need to stop that. But then you need to redirect it somewhere. You need to go to God with it, right? Like, like if you're lying, if you have been a liar, if you have been caught in lying and, and, and it's just a part of your life and you've been doing it so much, you're literally hard-hearted to it. You, you have to stop doing that, but then you need to start speaking truth. You start with truth. If you're a taker, stop taking and ask, how can I be a giver? And that looks, so, that looks, you know, and plays itself out in so many different ways. But I just want to encourage you. If God has called you to be in community, if God's called you to, into this new creation, it means that you play an incredible and vital role in it. And I just want to encourage you with that. And let's move forward well uh, as a church and be excited about what he's going to continue to start in our lives as we pursue him and lay aside that old self. Amen? Let's pray.